The CCC says that starting Friday, all adults aged 18 and up will be eligible to get a booster shot five months after their second COVID vaccine shot. They will be able to receive Moderna, Pfizer and Medigen regardless of their original course. Health officials also announced the results of an investigation into a lab worker who caught COVID. With the Omicron variant sweeping the globe, medical experts are advising the public to get booster shots to improve protection. In Taiwan, the CCC announced that starting Friday, booster shots will be offered to everyone. People aged 18 and up are advised to get a booster shot, but the ACIP still recommends an interval of five months. That's five months after the second shot. The boosters are half a dose of Moderna or a full dose of Pfizer or Medigen. Only people who have had adverse reactions to those brands will be allowed to take AstraZeneca as a booster after medical assessment. The CCC also announced the results of an investigation on a former Academia Sinica lab worker who was diagnosed with COVID earlier this month. There are three possible paths of infection. The first is through direct exposure to the respiratory tract. That could have happened via airborne dust particles made up of contaminated cage bedding, via airborne droplets released by an infected animal after stimulation, or via aerosols. The second possibility is that, since the gloves were in direct contact with infected animals, they were contaminated. In the process of taking the protective equipment off, the patient could have pulled her mask off incorrectly and touched her mouth and nose, getting infected that way. The third is infection from contaminated particles on the outer layer of the protective equipment used in the working area. The CECC will convene on Thursday to discuss penalties for Academia Seneca, which faces fines of up to 150,000 NT. Meanwhile, Academia Seneca is planning three major reforms for its P3 lab. The institution is planning to offer bonuses for high-risk lab work. It's also looking to improve training and work on strategies to retain and attract talent. In addition, it will establish a comprehensive review committee to reduce the likelihood of similar biohazards in the future. The ruling parties of Taiwan and Japan are set to hold two plus two talks on trade issues this Friday, Christmas Eve. The date was announced by Japanese lawmaker Sata Masahisa, chief of the Foreign Affairs Division of the Liberal Democratic Party. According to the lawmaker, one issue on the agenda is Taiwan's import ban on some Japanese food products. Taiwan has banned food imports from five Japanese prefectures since the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear disaster in 2011. In Friday's meeting, Taiwan's ruling party will be represented by DPP lawmakers Luo Zhizhen and Chou Zhiwei. Last Saturday, Taiwan voted against reimposing a ban on U.S. pork imports. In their coverage of the referendum, Japanese media wrote that the outcome could pave the way for other deregulation, potentially ending Taiwan's ban on Japanese food imports. In an analysis piece, Asahi Shimbun said the Thai administration expects the referendum results to strengthen Taiwan-U.S. ties and bolster Taiwan's bid to join regional trade blocs. Actually, the issue of Fukushima imports seems to be easier to discuss than the rectopamine, as far as risks are concerned. Why? First off, the entire world, with the exception of Taiwan and China, has already opened up to it. Japan has already drawn an equal sign between us resolving the Fukushima issue and them supporting our bid to join the CPTPP. It is very obvious that if the Fukushima matter is not resolved, then when it comes to Taiwan's push to join the CPTPP, the attitude of Japan, who is our most important supporter, will be compromised. 
On Twitter, Liberal Democratic Party lawmaker and foreign affairs head Sato Masahisa shared a news story about Taiwan's referendum. He said the result would have a positive effect on efforts to remove Taiwan's bans on Japan's agricultural products, such as those from Fukushima. Sato said this issue would be on the agenda at a 2 plus 2 meeting of the LDP and DPP on December 24th. I will be the representative for our side. There will also be legislator Chiu Jiwei. We are still in the process of discussing the details of the meeting. There will be two main topics on the agenda. One is the issue of diplomatic security. The other is economic and trade cooperation and exchanges. But this will be a party-to-party -party discussion. It is not government-to-government. The two ruling parties held their first 2 plus 2 talks this year at the end of August, focusing on diplomatic and security issues. This time, the talks will touch on economic and trade issues. Japanese food imports are expected to dominate the agenda. We must abide by international standards and scientific evidence. Of course, we will also look after public health. As of the present day, the Ministry of Economic Affairs has not deliberated on the issue of Japanese food products. I think we should start addressing this issue as soon as the Lunar New Year holiday is over. Imports should be allowed starting from April. We spent two months discussing pork containing rectopamine. The Fukushima discussion should take less time. Finishing all of this by April is even more important because the CPTPP could convene in June. Say that we hurry to finish all this by April. In June, our bid might not succeed on the first try, but at least we'll have already created the conditions for success. The scholar says the time has come for Taiwan to align with the world and end its ban on Japanese food imports. He said that food safety should not be weaponized and used to hinder Taiwan's economic growth. Could Taiwan become a nuclear power? It's possible, according to an armed strategy expert surveyed by Foreign Affairs magazine. The influential American publication cited an expert who named Taiwan, Japan and South Korea as states that could have its own nuclear weapons within the next decade. But local experts say that the nuclear window of opportunity closed for Taiwan long ago. They say the island is now focused on a non-nuclear approach to building deterrence against China. In the latest edition of U.S. magazine Foreign Affairs, experts weigh in on whether more states were likely to acquire nuclear weapons. One expert strongly agreed with the proposition. He named Taiwan, Japan and South Korea as states likely to join the nuclear weapons club within the next decade. Taiwan does indeed have the capacity to develop its own nuclear weapons, but our national policy is to not possess or build weapons of mass destruction. There are indeed experts in the U.S. that say Taiwan should have nuclear arms, especially tactical nuclear weapons, to eliminate the threat of a large-scale landing. But long-range weapons and precision ammunition can achieve a similar effect. Military expert Su Ziyun said that Taiwan does have the ability to become nuclear capable. But he said that going down the nuclear path would be too controversial and may only heighten regional tensions. Shortly after 1964, Taiwan launched a secret nuclear weapons program dubbed the Shinju Project. Taiwan had been one step away from developing weapons of mass destruction. Taiwan's opportunity to develop nuclear weapons is over. 
At the end of the 1980s, Zhang Xianyi ran away to the U.S. Not long afterward, the U.S. sent people here and dismantled all the equipment being used to develop nuclear weapons. If Taiwan were to try again, it would have to purchase a lot of equipment. And now, amid the tensions between the U.S. and China, if Washington agreed to let us develop nuclear weapons, that would cause even more conflict between them and Beijing. In asymmetric warfare, us developing nuclear weapons would immediately result in regional tensions. But Taiwan can gradually strengthen its submarine force, especially our missile systems. If we do that, when China carries out military simulations, it would have no way of predicting what would happen if it tried to occupy Taiwan. I think that the most important thing for Taiwan is to develop its asymmetric warfare capabilities to turn Taiwan into a hedgehog island, develop deterrence and countermeasures for air, land and sea. That is part of our national strategy. Amid China's military threat, Taiwan is working on bolstering its asymmetric warfare capabilities. This strategy aims to use the smallest amount of resources to produce the greatest deterrent effect in hopes of protecting Taiwan against enemy invasion. Taiwan's Dai Ziying missed out on her dream of gold at the World Badminton Championships on Sunday. But the pursuit will continue, as she says she's got no plans to retire just yet. Today, my performance was relatively bad. My own sense is that in terms of speed, I wasn't able to run the way I wanted to. And when it came to the shuttlecock, I wasn't able to exert proper control. Fans around the world and online, they're worried that you're going to stop soon. Please, please tell us that that's not true. Uh, yeah, not true. <laughs> After her loss on Sunday to Japan's Akane Yamaguchi, Tai shared reflections on social media. She said that she had tried her best and that she accepted that her game was imperfect. 2021 was a great year of happiness and sorrow, she said, adding that she would, quote, store these emotions in my heart and use them to become stronger. Taipei's historic neighborhood of Da Daochen is offering a free dress-up experience that's fun for the whole family. Visitors can dig deep in the costume wardrobe and transform into fashionable ladies and gentlemen of the 1920s. They can take pictures inside period-specific rooms inside the visitor center or hit the streets of Da Daochen as if from another age. Whether it's a Shanghai-style chongsam or a tongue jacket with straw hat, these traditional garments can transport you back in time and space to the 1920s. Da Daochen Tourist Information Center spent tens of millions of dollars renovating its interior, turning it into a set where visitors can try out retro clothing for free. It's a big hit with the kids. We're on a family vacation, and this was on the way, so we all came to have fun in Taipei together. We thought the Lunar New Year is coming up, so we should go to Dihua Street to browse the holiday wares. Then we saw this new attraction. We thought it was very novel. It's a very curious feeling. This is my first time wearing this kind of clothing. It feels like a trip back to the past. The tourist center has a classroom straight from the Japanese colonial era. It's also got a traditional Chinese medicine pharmacy and a tea shop, all great places for a selfie. Costume visitors rotate from room to room, as if characters in a historical drama. Taipei's tourism department hopes this historical dress experience will attract more visitors to Dadaochen and breathe new life into the old street. 
Our hope is this activity will drive development in this entire commercial district and increase its tourism revenue. That's what the local community eagerly looks forward to. Most of our visitors are walk-ins. They'll come and just try on the clothing. Still in traditional garb, these visitors take to the streets of Dadaochen, becoming walking and talking marketing campaigns for what this neighborhood has to offer. President Tsai Ing-wen convened a high-level meeting last Sunday to map out a strategy for upgrading Taiwan's administrative districts. According to a spokesman, President Tsai endorsed a merger for Xinzhou City and Xinzhou County, which would be upgraded into a special municipality. The proposal has not been embraced by the head of Xinzhou County, but it has the strong backing of Xinzhou City Mayor Lin Zijing of the DPP. After our campaign, about 60% of the residents in Greater Xinzhou supported a merger. For the sake of our special national development requirements and for more effective regional governance, we very much hope that the central government and legislative yuan will take the steps necessary to allow Xinzhou to merge and upgrade. We should seek consensus through open discussion, instead of using so-called opinion polls conducted by ourselves to show that everyone supports it. Because Lin Zijian is at the end of his second term, he can't run in elections again unless there is a merger. Local opinion polls show that the merger upgrade plan does have support. But being so eager about merging and upgrading could lead people to wonder whether he wants it for personal gain. I know that Lin Weizhou was hoping to wait four years for Yang Wenke to finish his term, because Lin Weizhou wants to run for county commissioner afterward. But if Xinzhu merges and upgrades, he'd have to wait another eight years. Those are his political considerations. If the merger is to come into effect by the 2022 local election, lawmakers will need to have passed all related legislation by June. The 2022 Taiwan Lantern Festival will be held in Kaohsiung next February. Preparations are already underway for a show that's sure to leave an impression. On Monday, Kaohsiung Mayor Chen Qimai headed to Weiwuying Metropolitan Park, where the base of the main lantern was laid in place. Ahead of the 2022 Taiwan Lantern Festival in Kaohsiung, organizers have laid the base of the main lantern. This year, the lantern's design will blend traditional elements and cutting-edge technology. It's expected to be a world-class piece of light art. We are a marine metropolis as well as a port city. It will incorporate both local and global features. The main lantern will be on display at Weiwuying Metropolitan Park in Fengshan District. A second venue will be up at Love River Bay. Both venues will host a light-studded spectacle designed for bustling crowds. Preservation and sustainability have become the essence of our city. This will be the liveliest lantern festival ever. Kaohsiung already hosts its own local lantern festival every year, drawing big crowds with its diverse main lanterns, folk-inspired elements, float parades and overall carnival-like atmosphere. All eyes are on Weiwuying and Love River Bay as they prepare to host even grander installations. Ma Chen Qimai pledges that the 2022 Taiwan Lantern Festival in Kaohsiung will be livelier than any previous edition. 
With the COVID-19 pandemic showing tentative signs of slowing down, we're all wondering when Taiwan's borders will reopen. Taipei City's tourist industry are eager for the return of international visitors. Now the city's tourist bureau has launched a new double-decker bus venture. But unlike the last tourist bus set to run the capital, this new bus also offers passengers a meal. A waitress sets down a luxurious dish to the accompaniment of light jazz. This almost could be a hotel restaurant, but no, it's a bus. The double-decker Taipei restaurant bus gets all its menu items from famous hotels. They've even put these glass holders on tables to stop glasses from wobbling when the bus is on the move, so you can enjoy the scenery in peace. The Taipei restaurant bus runs from Taipei City Hall MRT station past Taipei 101 and the Taozhou Yingyuan building. Then it heads on to Xing Yi Weishou Cinemas and San Yasen Memorial Hall before returning back to the station. Three buses run daily, offering either afternoon tea or dinner service. The menu is different and so is the price, 1,000 NT or 1,800 NT. We train the staff in managing the jolts of the bus, that's the first point. Secondly, when our bus chassis drops low down, our speed will reduce as well to 20 to 40 kilometers an hour. There's no problem with transporting the meals in transit. The route it follows is, in fact, the route we planned for the 2023 Taipei Festival of Lights. We expect that if the pandemic comes under control, Taiwan's borders may be able to reopen six months from now. International tourists will be able to enter, which will be a great help for Taipei's tourist industry. The new restaurant bus is a whopping 12 times pricier than a normal double-decker tourist bus. Will anyone want to foot the bill? That remains to be seen. But whether it's this or something a little more quotidian, Taipei will make the most of the end of the pandemic whenever it comes. Once upon a time, a roast goose was the poultry of choice for festive occasions. While it's no longer common on holiday tables, the Council of Agriculture is setting the stage for a comeback. Working with the Waterfowl Association, it's marketing goose as a centerpiece of a Christmas feast. A succulent slice of goose is pan-fried to medium well before plating. Strawberries, greens and a light dressing make it a refreshing appetizer. This chef at a five-star hotel is here to share his tricks for turning goose into a feast fit for Christmas. Place it in a cold pan with no oil, then fry it up slowly. Pour out the oil that releases from the goose. Once the skin is crisped, flip it over. You'll have to fry it for two or three minutes. Santa Claus is here with a fine roast goose. Move over, Christmas turkey. The goose is making a comeback. To promote domestic goose meat, a waterfowl industry association is getting creative. It's also launched a range of meal kits starring goose. From smoked goose to goose breast, it can all be easily enjoyed at home. We want consumers to know that goose meat is actually more nutritious than other meats. We hope that people will give domestic goose meat a try. The government helps businesses with slaughtering, butchering and packaging of parts, the distribution to various sales channels and even online channels. This diversified marketing allows consumers to easily obtain gourmet foods from the source. In addition, it is conducive to the positive development of the sector.
Nutritious and heart-healthy, domestic goose meat is available all year round. This year, the goose meat sector produced 3 million birds. Its price has gone up from 50 NT to 60 NT a catty, but it's still affordable compared to imported meats. The Council of Agriculture is promoting geese to help farmers propel business to new heights. Farmers have launched a premium rice brand called Yufeng Rice. It's grown sustainably in the wetlands of Tianliaoyang Village, located in a pristine corner of New Taipei. The area is the first stop of many migratory birds that fly to Taiwan in the winter. At the launch event, farmers guaranteed that their rice was completely pesticide-free and safe for the birds to eat freely. Migratory birds circle the air, cutting a spectacular sight. They're at Tianliaoyang Village, located in the northeastern corner of Taiwan, between the Fulong and Gongliao railway stations. This is the first stop for many migratory birds that come to Taiwan for the winter season. The area's ecology is rich and diverse, with as many as 300 species of birds spotted here. It's here, in this pristine oasis, where farmers grow Yufen rice, a new premium brand. You can rest easy eating the rice we grow here. We don't use any pesticides. Farmers have transitioned to eco-friendly farming. They take good care of this natural habitat all year round, and they've been able to launch this new agricultural product brand. At Tianliaoyang Village, Yufeng rice is farmed sustainably without the use of pesticides. Birds are allowed to feed freely on the rice so that the grain becomes part of the ecological circle. The rice grown here is plump with a chewy texture. This hot bento box is packed with Yufeng rice as well as local seafood. This lunchbox features not only eco-friendly yufeng rice, but also lots of local specialties of Gongliao district, lots of local agricultural products, including Audi abalone and squid. There's even Tianliang's dry-farmed Chinese yam. City officials and activists launched the Yufeng brand while promoting local agricultural products in hopes of driving sustainable farming in the region.